0: Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just ten dollars, shipping included. Available exclusively at getjackblack.com with the code TeamJB. The starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25 in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022 the LA Kings and the starter from Jack black $10 plus free shipping available at getjackblack.com with the code team JB while supplies last
1: you're listening to an LA Kings podcast for more episodes of this and every other Kings
2: program visit lakings.com slash podcast
0: 45 seconds left on the power play. Kopitar from the circle across hit base shot
2: score you're listening to all the Kings men the official podcast of the LA Kings. I
1: follow, ties up, loose puck, tie in enhance it. off. Oh, they shot, they score!
2: It's Kaliev.
0: Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. The LA Kings defeated the Anaheim Ducks in the first preseason game at Crypto.com Arena last night. It was a low-scoring game, but the Kings came away with a 2-1 win after Kempe and Kaliev both scored power play goals in the first period and I'm calling it a one-goal shutout for Jonathan Quick. For those of you who may not be aware of the one-goal shutout, that's where I somewhat arbitrarily decide that even though a goalie allowed a goal, it was really a shutout effort. In this case, Quick allows a fluky goal on the first shot against of the game, and then shuts the door for the rest of the night. So, one-goal shutout. Frank Clark played in his fourth preseason game, and late last week I spoke to Jack Han about what he saw from Clark in the game against the Vegas Golden Knights. Jack Hand is a former assistant coach for the Toronto Marlies and worked in the Lease development program and is currently a self-described hockey consultant with the ear of multiple NHL GMs, coaches and scouts. Now, before we get to that conversation, Dennis Bernstein joined me for a few minutes last night at Crypto.com Arena to react to the Kings victory. We're here in the Chick Hern media room following preseason game four. Joining me, Dennis Bernstein. How are you doing today, Dennis?
2: I'm doing great, Jess. It's great to be back in the building at Crypto.com Arena. They let me back in, so that's a good thing. But uh, great to be back for uh, preseason hockey.
0: Yeah, now look, uh, preseason game. Not Both teams not icing their full lineups.
2: But I thought it, for stretches, the Kings looked great. The puck position, this... That type of game, and granted, the Ducks lineup wasn't great, but that was the identity of the team that played last season. That's what you saw. Uh, but maybe Jim Hiller should get a raise after his first season uh-huh. game because they scored two power play goals. But but I assume that's the type of game you'll see from this team. Granted, no fill in the lineup tonight, no Q. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. That's a typical Kings game with their identity right now. There was a
0: stretch in the second period where the Kings dominated down low for what felt like two minutes, maybe, maybe even two and a half. And I kept thinking, I kept looking at the names of the guys along the boards, winning the puck battles, keeping the puck in the zone. And I was struck with like, oh, it's Blake Lazat. It's Arthur Calia. It's Brandon Lemieux. It's Carl Grunstrom, Guys that have not been here for more than two full seasons. There was no Kyle Clifford, there was no Trevor Lewis, there was no Justin Williams or Jeff Carter. It was actually, like, a new Kings team that actually
2: looked good. I think on Twitter you said three minutes they had the position. I did, but good. I was being, okay. you know, Twitter Twitter hyperbole. Uh, it's okay. Okay. Uh, Jesse, that's what happens when a team buys into a system. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Like you're playing to that identity, you're playing to that system. It worked last season. Um, they had great puck possession, great sh- shot suppression. So it's 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 refreshing to see those players do that. But. Given the fact that this team is totally born into what Todd has sold over the last, now, two seasons, um, it, it's not totally surprising to me, but it's welcome because, again, that's what you need from those type of players. You need to grind it out, hold on to the puck, and they did that tonight very well.
0: I saw a lot of comments about a very specific player, and I've heard a lot of people praise this player. And tonight, I thought he looked particularly good. Gabriel Villardi. Um... I don't think there's any question. You know, we keep talking about who's the 13th forward. who's the, But, when I mean, really, are we talking about who's the 14th forward at this point? It feels like Gabriel Velarde is taken a significant step forward in his career.
2: Yeah, he, he'll be on the opening night roster. Now, does he get in the lineup? I don't know. And I've joked in the press box, he's the 13th forward, so that's why he's wearing thirteen. Right. But I, I think he showed he's a National League player, Jess, but in what role? And if he's going to be on the bottom six, where are you going to place him? Could he go on the top... Could he be the right wing opening night uh, for Arvidsson? He very well could be, and I wouldn't have a problem with because he's showing intelligence around the net, skill around the net, hasn't produced anything, and that's been my biggest, you know, my biggest criticism is that he just hasn't put points on the board. But I think he shows that he's not overmatched. I think the, the questions are his playing at pace. Can he do that with certain players? And can he produce and be a productive offensive player? But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's on the roster opening night. You're not going to waive a player like that. He's 11th overall pick going back to 117. 17. So I think that uh, he, he's showing signs. But, again, when they drop the puck for real we, from Tuesday, we'll see what the reality of Gabriel Velarde is. Controversial take.
0: I don't believe Victor Arvidsson is going to be out of the lineup that long. I, I, he's out there every day yeah. in practice. On the power play, five on five. He's in the red no contact, I get it. But, like, they're not auditioning anybody for his role anymore. They're just playing him there.
2: Right. There's spot holders. There's placeholders for Victor, right? Because yep. when Victor's healthy, he's going to play. I, I think the question with Victor coming off back surgery, I think it's the recovery days. Like, we don't really know how Victor's feeling when he goes hard into practice for mm-hmm. an hour. And I think that's the question. I think that's why he's still see the there, Because there may be some recovery issues. I think his, he's been there enough, like you said, Jess, to say, okay, his conditioning's there. Right, So I think it's just a matter of how managing that back and That's a serious injury for a hockey player.
0: But like, if he's going to miss 10 games, 15 I, games no, to start the season, then right. you're putting somebody else in that spot, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, it's tough, though, because they haven't really played – how many games have they play the true top No, but I'm six? talking about
0: practice. Every day we're sitting there and, oh, yeah, and yeah. for practice, he's out there. If he's going to miss 10 games, you're putting somebody else on that line in
2: practice. If, if he's going to miss 10 games – the only way that happens is if he has a setback and we don't see him on the ice for a couple of days, which, as you said, hasn't happened. He's been out there every game. So it's a matter of, and if you, it's tough to measure, because like with Jersey, they took off the jersey, the red jersey, then he's, he's, he wouldn't commit to playing opening night. So, but I, to your point about missing 10 games, I, I don't think it's double-digit games. Maybe it's the first two weeks. Maybe it's after the first road trip. But I would agree with you. you he wouldn't be practicing that much if he was that far away. Now, to be clear, this is speculation. This is
0: totally. not based on any feedback. In fact, all of the feedback we've heard suggests it might be November first from your partner. But uh, like I said, I don't buy it. Anyway, you can only beat the team in front of you. The Kings beat the Ducks tonight. Two power play goals, big
2: win. Thanks for joining me, Dennis. Always a pleasure, Jess. Thanks for the time. Returning
0: to the show, can we? I think we can call your friend of the show at this point, Jack Han. How are you doing today, Jack?
1: Friend to show, occasional. Southern California. That's right, right, right. Um, uh, you've got blood here, right? Yeah. So my yeah. my parents are are in the San Diego area. Uh, I I did my grade twelve in Sacramento. So yeah, a bit, money a bit in of the a California. Exactly, a a California connection.
0: So the reason we're having you on today is uh, an account on Twitter. I'm blanking on the name. Um, I know that there are two young gentlemen, I believe, from the Czech Republic or from Czechia. Um, and they posted uh, some microstats. Am I using microstats correctly there?
1: Uh, well, well it's, um, it's the expected goals, right? So yeah. expected goals is like shot level data, which wouldn't necessarily be microstats. Microstats would be more like exits, entries, passes, kind of the, the level below right. shots.
0: So fancy stats, but yeah, the sure. sort of counting Definitely. equivalent of fancy, fancy stats. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they posted the information from Brant Clark after two games. And listen, I love Brent Clark. I've watched, enjoyed watching him play in the limited amount of time that we've gotten to see him. But I found myself asking, okay, how much importance should we put on two preseason games worth of stats? So I asked you and Kent Wilson and Jay Fresh and Dom from The Athletic and I think Evolving Wild, the twins from Evolving Wild. I just sort of blasted as many people as I could think of off the top of my head who might give me an answer back. How much weight should we put into those numbers? and the general answer i got back was none um but you said well enough to make you go look at the shifts and uh, and weigh in and i thought well if you're going to look at them and and have some thoughts i would very much like to know what those thoughts are um so i reached out to you and asked you to share those thoughts with us so i mean you were only able to watch one game
1: i think right uh yeah so so it's because it's preseason, the, the mm. video availability is a little bit spotty. So I, mm-hmm. I caught one of the games against Vegas mm-hmm. and the, the fellows who uh, post the stats uh, uh, it's Andy and Rono AR mm-hmm. hockey stats on Twitter. And basically what they said is, um, you know, in, in, in two games, which is again, a very small sample size uh, at five on five, Brent Clark has been on the ice for two goals for one against. So, you know, it's, it's not a huge number, but it's it's solid. Mm-hmm. And then his expected goal share is 77%. So just to give you a, a really kind of high level, uh, anything above 50 is respectable. Anything above 60 is really good. Anything above 70 is like eye-poppingly good. Right. And again, it's, it, it's a two-game sample against a mix of AHLers and NHLers who aren't trying very hard. <laughs> right. So... But again, but for a player who's heading into his first pro season, uh, certainly this is either a neutral thing or a good thing. It's certainly not a bad thing to be dominating on the ice uh, to this extent early on. So, you know, that got me curious because um, I've sort of been following his game on and off since his draft year. And, uh, th- you know, there's a lot of people who are big fans of his, and then there are a lot of people who are kind of very skeptical. So the skeptics, uh, we may include maybe some of the other NHL teams that pass on him, maybe the Canadian World Juniors program that cut him from training camp Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. So, you know, uh, a player who's produced extremely well in juniors, but who's not the best skater. And, you know, there are question marks on uh, how much or how effectively can you play in the NHL if you're an offensive defenseman who, who doesn't defend all that great.
0: So Kent Wilson replied to my question and said that two of the reasons we shouldn't put any weight into them is that it was a tiny sample and a non-representative sample. Um, Tiny sample meaning, as we said, it's two games. And non-representative, as you said, meaning it's against competition that isn't necessarily the peak um, level of competition. Uh, There isn't really an answer to this question, but which of those two reasons, tiny sample or non-representative sample, is more like I would think that the fact that it is two games and you know you mentioned that it's you know on the ice for two goals for on the ice for one goal against yes that's two-thirds but it's such a small at that size of a sample size I mean I feel like the small sample size is, is the more important of the two uh issues that Kent Wilson raised
1: Sure. And, and, but, but the thing I think it's, it's important to understand is how people evaluate players ultimately is based on these little blips. And then it gives you a reason to dig in a little bit more. So mm-hmm. if you're uh, scouting junior players, uh, you, you probably sit down in a rank and you have an idea of who you're looking for. But then one guy makes a play that makes you go, whoa, like there's something there. And then mm-hmm. you watch more. Right. Or if, if you're purely looking at players from a statistical point of view, you know, you still see a player, let's say over five or 10 game sample, put up really good stats and you're like, Whoa, maybe there's something there. I got to, I got to look at this uh, on a bigger uh, timescale. Right. So um, regardless of how unrepresentative or how small the sample is, at least this little very positive blip uh, gives us a reason to kind of focus in and, uh, pay a little bit more attention to Brand clark as opposed to another player who's maybe just kind of getting by and who's going to get sent down very quickly here so you did just that and uh
0: you highlighted the shift obviously where he assisted on kevin fiala's goal we'll get to that shift in a bit but what was your overall impression of brant clark based
1: on the game that you saw him in? uh he's a good player <laughs> <laughs> perfect all right thanks okay. for coming <laughs> um so, so there's a few things there. So generally speaking, uh, in my experience, there's two areas that I, I tend to look at first when evaluating a young defenseman, um, you know, especially, let's say, a junior player who's looking to eventually move up to pro hockey and maybe to the NHL. And, and that's the first area is how they defend speed, so how they defend the rush. And the second area is how well to retrieve pucks in the D zone and then help their team break out. And in, in those two areas, um, in, in that one game that I watched, I thought Clark was solid, but nothing special. So what I mean by that is um, when he's going back to retrieve pucks, he's, he's often making a quick little play to, uh, he played with Alex Edler, who's uh, not only very experienced, but actually last year had a really good bounce back season after being you know heavily injured for uh, a couple of years there. So really good player. Again, really good partner. Uh, Lefty, righty. Uh, preseason, so you're playing against maybe four checkers who aren't going all out. So in terms of retrieving pucks in the D zone, I thought Clark was just okay. You know, there was nothing nothing eye-popping, It, but you know... Again, uh, he was just making the plays that were in front of him, which at this point is good enough. The second area is how he defended speed, and this is perhaps the biggest knock on him because he's not the best backward skater. Uh, he's a little bit clunky, and the the comparable I'd use in that regard is actually Sean Dersey, who uh, and I think Brent Clark is a better backward skater than Sean Dersey was when. Uh, during his first pro cap, And I know this because I was there and Sean Dursey, uh after getting drafted by the Leafs uh, at his first pro cap, was catastrophically bad. And Brad Clark na- is at least holding his own. I'm going so to jump in here
0: real quick yeah. because this actually, for anybody who is not aware, this might be a perfect time for you to read off your bona fides. They're bona fides? Bona fides. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I worked three years in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization in a variety of roles In the first two years, I was mostly working with uh, the scouting and the player development staff. And then in my third year, I was actually an assistant coach for uh, the Toronto Marlies, which is their AHL affiliate. And again, as I said, uh, Sean Gersey was a player that I was involved in the process of drafting him. And then when he was in his first uh, training camp, uh, I was with the Leafs at the time, and he ended up getting traded to LA, I think, later that season. So when you say you were there, you were, <laughs> you were there. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so anyway, so, so I think it's not an obvious weakness. Uh, I certainly see some room for improvement in terms of defending speed one-on-one and being able to uh, have those kind of footwork details. But again, like, you know, Drew Doughty is not the fastest skater, but he makes up for it with his uh, his reads and his efficiency and, and how good he is technically. So I think Brand Clark kind of falls into that category. And I think in a couple of years, he'll be just fine. Right.
0: Okay. So we've listed areas where he is just okay and where he needs to improve. Um, and,
1: and, and, you know, the, the, the precision that I like to make is he's just okay by NHL standards as a 20 year old. Right, He's 20, right? So I think he's 19. <laughs> okay, so he, he's already way ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. So, so far, so good. And, but then um, the area that I think really stood out to me was his ability to get involved off the rush and offensively in general as a passing option. And again, this is something that I see a lot in Dursey's game as well. Just these are two players who are up in the rush and are just very helpful to their teammates as an out. So let's say the, the, the play is, let's say, progressing up um, up the left wing and that the left winger has the puck, he's getting pressured, and then in the neutral zone, he kind of runs out of space. In those situations, uh, Brand Clark is excellent at just getting himself available and giving his teammate an out so that the possession can continue. And it's not the kind of thing that will really... Um, jump off the page maybe if you if you just watch him for five or ten minutes. But if you watch him throughout a game and you count how often he's available, uh, like I, I have his shift clipped here. So uh during that game that i that I had, he was able to get the puck fifteen times in transition, which is a huge number for a defenseman. So so basically he's up into play like a fourth forward. But he's not really giving up that much defensively either, which is a really good sign.
0: I actually now that I'm thinking back on it, I wish I had sent you links to the rookie faceoff games that he played in in San Jose because he had two or three assists where two of them at least came from basically the same spot on the ice. He joined the rush, carried the puck up the right wall, drew a defender to him. And then from the wall, like below the face-off circle, but on the right wall, sent the puck to the slot or to center ice through the space created by the defender being pulled to him. And then those resulted in goals. Um, is that the sort of, I mean, obviously you're talking about um, retrieving the puck in transition, so it's not exactly the same thing. But I mean, is that the the conclusion of that sort of play?
1: Yeah, so... the like again, I think the biggest strength in in Clark's game is he knows when to get involved in the play to create a, a four on three, because generally, um, you know, hockey's played five on five, obviously, but on the puck, there's only going to be generally three players who are going to be directly involved. Um, but Clark has this ability to anticipate the play so that he can get involved as the fourth player, and then once someone does decide to give him the puck, he's got really, uh, you know, really sure hands. So you know that you can give him a pass in a tight spot and he's not going to make a mess of it, which makes a big, it makes a big difference, especially for a defenseman because, you know, if a four is in a tight spot and he passes you the puck and you bobble it once, twice, three times, the fourth time, you're not going to get the puck anymore. Hmm. Right. So. The, the thing that, that I find really encouraging is very quickly as a, a rookie, he was able to kind of ingratiate himself to his teammates and, you know, basically get, get them to trust him with the puck, which, which is not a given.
0: Especially on a team with forwards, you know, veteran forwards, right. That I would expect have a higher standard of, uh, of, of what they
1: trust. Yeah. and, and- it depends on who they are and what the mindset is. For example, you know, I've heard a story about Patrick Kane where you know, a lot about his game is using his defensemen and getting them to be involved offensively. So a player like Kane, he's going to look for you initially, and then he might give you one, two, or three pucks. And then based off of that, he's going to think to himself, okay, well, I can trust this guy, or no, I can't.
0: That sort of, you only yeah. get... Three chances to make a first impression, I guess, in Patrick Kane's case. Um, in that shift, uh, in the goal, uh, the Fiala goal, you highlighted it on Twitter, and you, um, you mentioned that uh, Clark was stuck in his zone on the PK for over a minute. I confess, when I was watching the game, that I did not notice that. So, how did that play into the rest of the shift, and why did you
1: right. choose
0: to include that in the bullet points on that why that shift was so impressive?
1: So. So, first of all, in that game, uh, Clark was taking a regular shift on the PK, which, again, mm-hmm. is not a given for a 19 or 20-year-old rookie. Sure. So, that's a good sign. Shows that at least his coaching staff is also putting trust in him. And he didn't get scored on, so, so that's a good, good start right away. Uh, <laughs> but, but the thing, um, you know, w- when you play hockey, like you, like you would feel this, is that when you're stuck in your zone, whether it's on the PK or whether it's even strength, even though you're not skating around a lot, it's very strenuous because you're always looking around and you're playing uh, very nervous, right? Because the opposing team is always a pass or two from getting an open right to tap in. So you're, you're very cognizant of the threats that could emerge. And then if there's even a half chance, you're sprinting you know, 100% speed to try to get a clear or force a turnover. So uh, in terms of your cardio, it's very demanding to play in your zone. Not to mention, you know, doing it for over a minute. And what I see uh, typically, even with professional, you know, level defensemen is you pin them in their zone for 60 seconds. And then the very next time that they touch the puck, it's going to be a dump out or maybe even an icing, right? Because your heartbeat's probably going 190 or 200, which affects your ability to move, but also your ability to think. So basically, you kind of go a little bit brain dead because your, your heart's working full capacity. And then you just kind of uh, make a very half-baked play with the puck. And that's not what happened. In fact, uh, Clark gets uh, a pass behind the net that's kind of on the rim, not really an easy puck to gather. He makes a very clean gather, comes off the wall with it, um, skates up the right side, beats a four checker, uh, finds a forward in the middle of the ice. then. Uh, So, okay, first of all, I think probably, you know, eight out of 10 defensemen would have thrown that puck away. And then the remaining two, you know, probably eight out of 10 of the remaining two uh, would have gone off and changed, but Clark didn't do that. So even though he's, you know, dog tired, he joins the rush, which we talked about. He gets the puck back, makes a nice play, gives it back to Fiala and Fiala scores.
0: Right. So Sorry, go ahead.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so you've been on the ice for, for 70 or 80 seconds. Uh your heart rate's, you know, north of certainly 180, probably 190. Um you make two extremely good plays in transition and then, you know, your team scores. So, for me, that is really cool because that it, that's the difference between maybe a good second pair of defenseman and a first pair of defenseman, which is what happens first of all when you're tired. And second of all is, how much can you play before you get tired? Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. I spoke to Clark about that pass that he made to Fiala. And I asked him, you know, did he have any sense of what Fiala might do with it when he made the pass? Because the reality is, it wasn't like a a pass to a guy in a great scoring position. He made a, a great pass, and then Fiala made a great move but there's no way for Clark to know that he's going to make a great move when he gives it to him. Let's say Fiala had just got a shot off, right? Like, let's just say he shot it yeah. from the second it got to him. Is that play, do you think that that play still would have stood out to you as a big plus in Clark's column, or are we just sort of focusing on it because Fiala finished it off with an unbelievable move?
1: Well, I mean, I, I mean, I would have made a note of it either way because really mm-hmm. it makes no difference to me whether Fiala scored or he didn't just the fact that you are able to, you know, 80 seconds into into a shift, make two great plays and join the rush like that. That for me is special because not many players can, can do that. Right. And um, you know, if we, if we look at most of the teams that have won the Stanley cup in the past, they've had that player who was able to, that defenseman who was able to contribute offensively and not give up too much defensively, but do it for over 30 minutes a game without losing their heads. Right. Like Victor Hedman is probably the most obvious one. If you go back. Um, uh, so who won before Tampa? So it was. It's Ber- no you. Washington. Right. So, you know, they did it more by committee, but, you know, it was Carlson and Orlov mm-hmm. uh, St. Louis. It was Petrangelo and and, um, and Pareko. Uh So. But really, you know, Hedman in, in Tampa is the big one, right? Before that, you know, 20 years ago, you would have Lidstrom who played more than half the game and made it look easy, right? So if you look at, let's say, Lidstrom and Hedman shift to shift, they're not necessarily heads and shoulders above, let's say, uh, a more, not average, but more of like a normal first pair of defense, right? But they stand out because when the pressure's on and when, you know, everybody else is getting tired. They're still just a little bit fresher. And I don't know what Clark's actual energy level was, was like on that shift. But um, that for me is an indication that like this kid's got something that a lot of other players don't.
0: I mean, they're definitely playing him. They played him in all three preseason games. He played in all, I think he played in all three rookie faceoff games. So he's already got six games under his belt on top of the scrimmages that they've been doing in training camp. I mean, they, It seems to the untrained eye that they are giving him every opportunity to show them what he can do.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I I can't say for sure whether he's gonna he's gonna make the the Kings or not. I think the AHL is still a really good place for him because he is gonna play twenty five to thirty minutes a night. Unfortunately,
0: he can't go to the AHL.
1: Oh wait, he's he's still uh, he still has to go back to junior. Yep oh okay well that 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 changes things a little bit that makes it really interesting then mm-hmm. um, otherwise maybe you know maybe the kings can loan him to a european team that 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 maybe is, is is another option
0: well you uh you wrote an i don't know if it was a full article it can be counted as a full article, but you had a very um I don't know if it was meant to be funny or if it was meant to be educational, but it made me laugh. And I feel like I learned something you sort of gave the, you know, the stages of how to ruin a prospect. Um, so if you're in charge of, of a player like Brant Clark, what is the absolute worst thing that you could do for a guy like him at this point?
1: He, he's just too good for junior hockey. Like he's not going to be challenged. I would love to see him get loaned to, let's say, a a Swedish league team or a, um, maybe not a Finnish league, but maybe I think Sweden, Germany, or Switzerland could be three really good spots for him because he's going to play against pros. Um, He's going to play a lot because he's going to be kind of a top offensive defenseman in those leagues already, and he's going to... He's going to be challenged, right? Because once in a while, he's going to go up against a player who's way better than a, a top junior. So, a phrase
0: I frequently see repeated is a player will have, quote unquote, nothing left to prove at a lower level, whether it's the AHL or juniors or, you know, the national team, whatever it is. If there's a player that somebody wants on the big club, and the math doesn't work out or the contracts don't work out and they have to be sent down, there'll, there'll be a chorus of people saying, well, he's got nothing left to prove at that level. Is it really a question of having to prove anything? Or as you said, is it more a question of how much he's challenged on a day-to-day
1: basis? It, it, I, I just think if he goes back to junior, it's going to be too easy for him. Because sure, he is going to play 30 minutes, but the four checkers are not coming in as hard his teammates won't necessarily be in the right spots. Uh, maybe they're not going to finish uh, the kind of setups that he can create. Um, maybe, you know, like the... I don't know. I, I just don't see the difficulty level because already, you know, I, the reason why we're talking is because he, he's played some preseason games that looked really good against players who are way better than, than junior players. Right. So, and, 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 and this is a really difficult um, situation for prospects who, you know, are not maybe, um, you know, the first overall category, but who are way too good for juniors. Like we kind of had a similar situation with, um, Rasmus Sandy in Toronto. And the workaround was, I think initially we loaned them out to, uh, an SHL team. And then after their season ended, we were able to get him on the Marlies. And he was, I think, right away a top four AHL defenseman and ended up a top pair AHL defenseman within a couple of months.
0: Would you advocate for, you know, I've heard people propose that um, the issue for those who are not aware is that the CHL and the NHL have an agreement where players under the age of 20 cannot be sent to ahl affiliates they have to if they're not going to be on the nhl roster they have to be sent back to their chl team there are some people who have proposed that 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 an exemption be made for first round draft picks um so that in this case brant clark who was eighth overall would be allowed to go play for the ontario reign would you be in favor of that exemption
1: uh I mean from a from a pure hockey point of view i would it's just you know it's very difficult for the the chl clubs to say you know we're going to have we're going to take these players who are going to be kind of game-changing players for you who are going to get people in the seats and all of a sudden you're not going to get them anymore so i i understand the economic considerations um but again uh from a pure hockey or a pure player development point of view it's all about finding the level where the player is going to be challenged, but also they're not going to be overwhelmed, right? Like th- th- there's a sweet spot to be found there.
0: So I have proposed. So the, so the the issue from the Kings perspective is we already have four right shot defensemen under contract who have proven themselves, you know, to be NHL worthy. ground, Drew Doughty, Matt Roy, Sean Walker, and Sean Dersey. So Brant Clark, who is also a right shot defenseman, will struggle to find ice time. Now, Sean Walker can play the left side and they have had him skating on the left side with Matt Roy in camp. I have proposed that the Kings ought to start the season with eight defensemen play Brant Clark, his nine games, but not consecutively, but, but pair him, whether it's Alex Edler or whoever else and rotate that pair in and out of the lineup. And, and, sparse those nine games out as long as possible until it leads up to world junior camp. Then Brant Clark can go play in the world juniors, assuming team Canada would like to have him. And then you have until, you know, whatever mid January um, to decide what to do with him, whether you keep him up or you send him back to juniors for half a season. I mean, is that, is that just overthinking it and pipe dreaming it?
1: Well, it, it's a really difficult situation. And, and even without Clark, I think the Kings they already they're already very strong in the right side cuz there's Jordan Spence who mm. who I am very high on as a player as well. He's knocking on the door and and he he can go to the AHL, correct? Mm, yes, correct. Yeah. So maybe it could be a case of him be you know establishing himself as a really elite AHL defenseman cuz I, you know, he's an undersized guy but I love the way he reads the game. He's a great skater, he's got really good skills. Um can be kind of like one of those sneaky good second pair D's that can play up maybe with a a really dominant partner, but um, you know for like it, it's a good surplus to have because I would I would say maybe at least two thirds of the league are always looking for right-handed D's. You know Toronto, uh, for instance, uh, they they're addressing six lefties right now because <laughs> uh, c- you know Justin Hall's sitting out um, some of the preseason games. But it just goes to show you how difficult it is. And as a reminder. Um, in most hockey playing countries, lefties outnumber righties two to one. So it's going to be very easy to find a lefty defenseman or a lefty winger or a lefty center, but it's going to be much harder to find a righty, uh, defenseman, which, um, in the U S is kind of 50, 50. So it, maybe it's something that's a little bit less top of mind for Americans, but certainly the Kings are in a really good position because they got a lot of righties who can play, uh, credibly in NHL minutes. Uh, perhaps there's a trade to be made to bolster, you know, another area of the team, but it, it's a good problem to have. And the only, again, the only downside is if, you know, if you're starting with eight defensemen first of all, it takes away from your flexibility up front. Does. But second, again, I would rather Brent Clark play in juniors than not play games at all. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, having having been at that level, it's it's just, it's really difficult to replicate game action there's something about kind of that routine that pressure that that whole thing where sure you know i can skate you for 25 minutes and maybe you know we can bring out a couple of extras to kind of put pressure on you whatever but it's just unless you got 10 players or going all out you're not going to be able to replicate those game conditions
0: so let's drill down a little bit further into that statement he's not going to even if he does make the nhl roster He's yeah. not playing first pair minutes because we've got Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson barring any cat- catastrophic events in training camp. That's our number one pair. They've proven themselves. It's Drew Doughty. Yeah. So, and chances are he's not playing second pair of minutes because Matt Roy has been very, very good and very effective in his role and is probably the only defenseman. Well, I guess Edler does a little bit of the same thing, but Matt Roy plays a game that most of the Kings defensemen don't play. So now we're talking about Brand Clark. If he does make the team as a third pair, maybe getting some special teams ice time, would you rather have him playing 30 minutes a night in the OHL or playing 12 minutes a night in the NHL? Because that's probably what we're really talking
1: about. Yeah. So uh, I, think, I think the most plausible thing is, so first pair is Anderson and, and Dowdy. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, second pair, actually, I, I, I like uh, Edler with Dursey. Okay. Because again, Jersey is a very similar player to Clark stylistically. And I think Adler can help kind of patch up some of the areas that Jersey is a little bit weaker in, but they should be able to work really well together. And then third pair or more of a defensive slash physical pair, you can have Walker and Roy together to start, you know, maybe play them more on PKs or defending leads, whatever. Uh, Spence uh, first pair AHL and then Brent Clark, uh ohl and then i would tell him i'm gonna watch every single game so don't you their slack off and uh you know we're expecting you to be the best defenseman in the ohl
0: so this is not about brand clark specifically but inspired by conversations about brand clark in your experience you know on a development staff assistant coach and everything there there was a handful of words confidence arrogance cockiness and they all sort of get lumped together in a type of conversation but i believe that they are not the same thing and i would i get a little bit uncomfortable when i hear people describing brant clark as confident because i think sometimes i hear them meaning arrogant and i have not once ever gotten a hint of arrogance from him but he is confident so where is that line drawn from the development perspective
1: I mean, like, I don't know the kid personally, so it's hard for me to say, but what I will say is to be, and this is not just in hockey, but in whether it's in sports, whether it's in business, whether it's in art, um, the all-time greats have a level of humility to them and that humility coexists with confidence, which means that, you know, they have a very clear sense of who they are and what they're good at and what they're, what they're going to do. And. they're also very confident in their ability to learn and to be resilient and to overcome, but they understand that, um, you know, you can't be blindly confident because that's when you get really in trouble. Right. And again, if we go back to that discussion about what maybe separates a top pair or a number one defenseman from somebody who's more of a number two or number three or number four is, you know, if you're arrogant and you think that you can do anything you want, uh, and then you turn the puck over. There's, you know, like that's a very tough position to put your team in, right? So again, like if you watch, you know, Hedman's the the biggest, most obvious example, but Litstrom was the same way. You know, back when I was growing up, they they're not actually trying the the most flashy plays, right? Like if you watch Tampa, Sergachev does a lot more things than than Hedman does in terms of taking chances, but because Sergachev is playing against lesser players he's playing less he feels like he's got more gas in the tank and maybe he's also you know a little bit less experienced whereas Hedman knows very clearly what he's got and what he doesn't have on a particular shift or particular day right so again he's very confident in what he can do but he also has a very keen understanding of you know this is not available today so i'm not going to push that let's talk about
0: Jordan Spence for a half a second. wasn't planning on this. You didn't know I was going to ask about it, but you brought him up and there's a chorus of us who watch the practices and who watch all the games and who, you know, sort of get paid to know what's happening <laughs> with the organization. And all of us are constantly reminding each other, like it's assumed that Jordan Spence will go down to Ontario because he can. And because, as you mentioned, we have a glut of right shot defensemen, but I mean, I, only quasi jokingly last year said that I thought Jordan Spence would top out at a Norris candidate someday um I didn't mean it sincerely, but I also wasn't joking. One of the things that he's been praised for is his ability to make a mistake, learn from it, and then never repeat that mistake again as a assistant coach or being on the development staff or or you know a experienced evaluator of talent is that the sort of thing that you can? see in real time or is that just a trend that you notice over time where you go oh, well he did make that mistake and he never made it again or can you see the gears turning in a player's mind as they're out there skating is there something about players like that that you can see while they're playing
1: so uh during spence's draft year, i actually interviewed him uh, at the at the combine in buffalo and okay. so for, for for those who don't really know his story which i found fascinating is um uh, his dad is, uh, I believe, Canadian, but his mom is Japanese, and he actually learned how to skate in Japan. Mm-hmm. So he's he, he's he really has you know that kind of a mix of cultures, and he he's he's very quiet, very introspective. But you see again, like you see the gears turning, and like one of the things that we did during the interview was we actually watched a video with the player, and I would freeze frame and ask him what what he thinks is going gonna, is gonna to happen next. And I thought he did pretty well. Like he has a really nice understanding of the patterns that happen often in a game. So uh, I don't think it's realistic to say that if you make one mistake, you're never going to make a mistake sure. like that again. But uh, I can definitely see what you mean in terms of his learning ability. And um, and it's not just his mindset, but also his his physical skill set. Like he's a really good skater and he can use that Either offensively to you know be pressure and find plays, or defensively. Like he just he's not the biggest guy, and I think that's the biggest uh, weakness in his game is he, he's never going to be you know 6'4", 220 because he's probably closer to five eleven, well one eighty right now right? Mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but the way that he defends is he matches speed with you. He just kind of leans into you and then lifts your stick and takes the puck away. Right, that that's always going to be how he defends, and. Um, and and that's going to serve him well up until he starts playing against the very best NHL players. But up to that point, I think he's going to be just fine.
0: Excellent. Well, Jack, I always appreciate every minute you uh, are willing to come talk to me here and uh, I'd make you do it all the time if I could, but I'm gonna let you get back to Flagstaff. Thanks as always.
1: All right. Well, really, uh, looking forward to the King season because, I kind of saw their run coming last year, so I'm, I'm interested to see whether they take another step this year. It well, certainly will be interesting. Let
0: me ask you, since you saw the run last year, will they, will they take the next step this year?
1: I mean, I think Shala is going to help them kind of finish some of the chances that they created. Um, I mean, look, if, if they can finish a regular season in a playoff spot and Brent Clark's OHL season comes in and early, maybe they're going to have Uh, a luxury black ace to to count on in the playoffs where where it's hard to create offense. So, so maybe there's something.
0: Excellent. Well, we're all looking forward to it. Jack, thanks again. All right. Take care, Jesse. Talk soon.